What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Batman edition. Bat signal up in the sky. You never see the bat signal in the daytime. Uh, it would have to be super powerful. Oh, Matt, I don't hear you. Should I hear Matt? Do you guys hear Matt? Nope. Nobody hears Matt. Matt. Batman. Gabby, how are you? Well, Matt. Right, stop oh, there we go. We're back. All right, I don't know what the deal was. Matt Man is back. <laughs> the Matt signal. We put the Matt signal up mm-hmm. and you came That's back. Right. You know, I thought Matt Man would be a great superhero code name, but it hasn't worked out at all. Everybody can oh. still tell who I am. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Batman uses that voice, that voice thing. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. I think if you tra- if you talk class like this, it'd be pretty exciting. Well, this is actually my superhero voice. My, oh, okay. My, my <laughs> secret identity voice is totally different. <laughs> Very good. Very good. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Matt Man, Matthew Stanley, professor at New York University, historian of science in the Gallatin School of, is it of anything? Individualized study. Individualized study. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Um, and uh, I'm very excited that we have one of our uh, alumna here today, actually. We do. We do. Mm-hmm. Emily Driscoll is here. We'll be bringing her in in a moment. But first, I wanted to introduce us to our other co-pilot, our fearless, uh, fearless leader, Gabby Panicia from Rockefeller University. So it's two two NYUers on one versus one rock. Actually, well, three. Sorry, I went to NYU. So yeah, we have wow NYU in the house. So Gabby Rockefeller is is all in your hands. Oh God, can, I have a very <laughs> it's a big institution to put on my back. I guess. I think Rockefeller has far more Nobel prizes than NYU. I'm just guessing. Uh, that's probably right. Certainly probably, more than probably more, more money too, <laughs> and more and certainly more than the film school. More more Nobel prizes than the, I don't think the film school has a single uh, Nobel prize, hmm. right, Emily? Um, so also with us, Emily Driscoll, science journalist, filmmaker. How how do you self identify? Yeah, that's perfect. Science documentary producer. Very happy to be here. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, and uh, you have made videos for some fine institutions. Scientific American, among them, Science Friday, and uh, Quanta. You were talking about Quanta, which which is a wonderful kind of popular uh, magazine about mathematics and technology from the Simon from the Simon Foundation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Math and physics, yes. For those who want to do a deeper dive into math and physics, they have an amazing award winning website where they also do videos and explainers. Uh, so I recommend everyone check it out if they haven't already. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, you've done, do you, do you have any idea how many science videos you've produced, Emily? Ooh. It's countless. 
Uh, that's the beauty of doing short science documentaries that you can, yeah. <laughs> you know, pitch different ideas and follow those, um, get obsessed with those for a short amount of time and pursue it and make a video. And then uh, I just, I don't know off the top of my head. I would have to go back and look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of them. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll just give a shout out to you. Where, where can people go to find your well, They can videos. go to my website, Bonsai. B-O-N-S-C-I films.com. Right on, right on. And uh, so many different topics. I mean, uh, in, in a similar, different different topics than we do, obviously, but but similar sort of wide net of uh, incredible stories that you cover that's similar to what we've done. Yeah, I, I, I like stories that are, that are quirky, but then reveal something really important, some critical issues facing the planet, and also reveal the passion of the researcher and what drives them why they're doing what they're doing so it's kind of like if i read something that kind of gets me surprised like huh is that really is that so then i'll take a further look and be intrigued and uh go from there yeah yeah right on right on and um you did a video recently very recently um about did you call them the batman and the batwoman of india Yes. Am I am I phrasing that correctly? You are. You are. And now their their child is is the bat child of India. They're they're kind of a bat <laughs> family, but uh, wow. he was off, he's off studying, so it primarily focused on the bat woman and the Batman of India. Mm-hmm. I want to say I can't wait for the the Tim Burton movie about the bat child. Yeah. In, 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 in school. Yeah, uh, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that'd be a great movie with the, um, maybe Michael Keaton has a son uh-huh. you know, who could could play the. The bad child. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were talking about what what if could we run with you know, out of all you know you've done so many different stories, um, and then you mentioned you know this story about bats and and uh, bats are such great creatures creatures great and small I think is the expression, um, but uh, very enigmatic. They hold a high place or a low place depending on how you feel about them in our culture. Obviously, not just with Batman, but going all the way back. And so, um, before we b- announce the if, uh, Gabby, can you help our listeners who already are confused? Are they listening to a Marvel, not Marvel, excuse me, a wow. DC Comics? Wow, I almost stepped in that one big. Whew, a lot of <laughs> nasty emails. <for> that. <laughs> a DC Comics podcast or what the heck is going on and why do we need to have this very sacred ritual to announce to with great fanfare what our if will be this week yeah so at what the if we choose one thing to change about the universe and that's our if and it can be small what if birds had thumbs or they can be much 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 bigger like what if all atoms were exactly the same yeah, it would have all molecules were exactly the same. I don't know. So we try to take that what-if statement and follow it out as far as it'll possibly go and have some real science fall out along the way, but also potentially destroy the universe by the end of it. So that's sort of why we announce with great fanfare. Kind of lets you get whatever appropriate PPE you need to protect yourself in this alternate reality <laughs> on, secured, and then dive in with us. Exactly, exactly. So safety goggles on. Emily, would you prepare with us? Uh, we're putting on, what do you call the suits you put on, uh, Gabby, in your uh, lab? 
It's a Tyvek suit, but you particularly like Tyvek. the Papper, which is the fan belt. With Papper, fan belt, <laughs> absolutely. I'm going to play a superhero called Papper. <laughs> and uh, that's that's all his only weapon is his fan belt. Yeah, that'd be quite the superhero. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, bats and humans, what the if? Humans, not just any humans, you. What if you, what the if, you were a bat? Imagine. And not just you, but your whole family, your friends, everybody you knows, you know, especially the people you work with, the people you go to school with, you know they're bats already. Matt, what do you, Matt, you already have the appropriate name for being a bat. You could be Matt the Bat. Uh, and that would be fine. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if rhyming is the, the critical skill for being <laughs> a bat. I don't know. Maybe that's related to echolocation in some way. Yeah. Emily, do bats rhyme? Well, some of their echolocating is not in the frequency that humans can hear, so it's right. kind of a hard question to answer. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, if you're talking about echolocation, that's something that could be very useful for humans. And we're all some people are actually already communicating that way and moving through their surroundings using echolocation. Uh, so it, it wouldn't be that far-fetched for us to take, you know, if we were bats, to be using echolocation. Right. So echolocation, what is that? Help us understand that, Emily. What does that mean, echolocation? Echolocation is, is well, the way bats use it is they produce these clicks, these sounds, and they the sound bounces off an object and comes back to them, and it tells them how far away or maybe even like the, the texture of what that object is so that they can navigate through their world without using sight. And uh, actually, there are blind people who use that technique, and where bats are limited because they can only produce this sound in one different way, humans can actually do this, you know, with their mouth, with clicks, or they can snap their fingers, or they can use a cane, and they can get little snapshots of their of the surrounding and what, and then that's that is processed through uh, vision. So they're not seeing sight the way we do, but they're they're getting a picture of what their surrounding looks like, including the textures of different objects. Wow! So we already have everything we need to do echolocation right now. Like I could go outside now and do that. You would need some training. The people who do it, they've worked on this for quite a bit, and a lot of them are blind, so they don't have a choice. I mean, mm, if you, okay. you know, if you're so used to relying on sight, I don't know how easy that would be, um, but but it would require a lot of training. Mm -hmm. But you don't need. What's interesting about it is when I when I first heard about how bats have echolocation, and just like you said, that the bats use a frequency that we're not. It's not generally in our range. Um, it's and and I think about radar, another example of echolocation. Um, both those things occur in frequencies that I, that we don't generally hear. So the I, it, it, just like Matt is saying, I think it's interesting that we can do it. We can do it using our own sounds. And you were saying even you know a human can do it with a little bit more variety, perhaps. Mm -hmm. in sounds and 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 it does process like like an image like you could huh. you could start to see textures but again it's flashes so it's like if you're turning right. the light on and off 
and again it wouldn't be the same like colors and everything that you see but but right, right. blind people could navigate without you know just using those clicks but the world is really not set up for that because there's so much noise everywhere so you, you need quiet to do that um, yeah. but we do use this like um sonar you know like side scanning sonar if oh. we're trying to map the ocean the bottom of the ocean it goes down and it like the signal goes down comes back and we, we get a sense of what the the depths are and not a perfect image of course but we get a sense of where different objects are on the bottom of the ocean floor and um yeah that's really cool. Ultrasounds. So, that was what I was going to say. Oh, ultrasounds. ultrasounds. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So the opposite, opposite end of the spectrum, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Of the sound spectrum, anyway. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh. uh what was I going to say? Uh, but Matt, when I, I just just to throw it out there, so I don't want to leave anyone behind. Radar. When I mentioned radar, mm -hmm. I don't know that people understand that that is uh, echolocation. Is that is that is that correct? Oh, well, certainly conceptually the same. Yeah. So yeah. with radar. Um, Radar is actually an acronym. I think people forget this sometimes. It's uh, radio detection and ranging. Um, so you have a little radio transmitter and you send out a signal and then that signal uh, hopefully bounces off something like an aircraft and then you uh, set up your radio detector to listen for that uh, little bump back. Um, and then when you hear that signal, you do things like time, how long it takes for the signal to have come back, and then you know how far away that thing is. Right. Um, and you can you can tweak that in various ways to get more and more detail. Uh, but the basic principle is the same. So it's interesting that evolution figured out that particular strategy um, millions of years ago. Actually, Emily, do we know how old echolocation is as an adaptation? Uh, not sure exactly, but it's been... It's been quite a while, yeah. Yeah. Matt I, is really good at playing Stump the Professor. I'm sure. Having been a victim of it many times. What were you going to say, Gabby? Oh, no, I can also add just sort of one more cool thing that it's wild that Nietzsche would have essentially figured out, if you want to phrase it that way. Um, yeah. But bats also, when echolating, echolocating, do Doppler shift compensation, which means no that <gasps> when they... So a bat is emitting a constant single frequency, more or less, to echolocate. If the bat speeds up, you get the effect kind of like if you're standing on the side of the highway and a car zooms past you, you get that. So for the bat needing to get a certain tone back to try to figure out where uh, an insect is or something else is, the fact that the bat is moving forward is going to change the frequency of the sound that they're getting back. And so they actually uh -huh. can change the frequency of the call that they're putting out to make sure that they get the correct tone back in response to their speed, which is another layer that's just completely cool. That's astounding. Yeah. So, uh, Emily, how do they make this sound and how do they hear it? It sounds, it, what does it sound like? It sounds like a clicking, to us it sounds like a clicking sound, right? It's a really high frequency. Yes. And high then, frequency sound. and again, some of them, some of the, echolocation we can't even hear it so we don't even know we have to process it and tr tr yeah. try to put it into our audio spectrum <laughs> do do the batman and batwoman when they're studying bats they like let's say if, if we were them and we were in one of their caves th that they visit right and we were listening to and you've been there is that right you have you been in the uh, bat well, caves the uh, so for this particular film making this film this bat species was extremely small and it lived uh, in an underground crevice it wasn't one of those 
big dramatic caves that you think about. Wow. And so, and this particular species is so rare that in the area is now protected thanks to the Batwoman and Batman of India. Um, mm-hmm. So it's an incredible story. I can fill you in on it later. But um, so for these, no, I, w- I wasn't even allowed to get near them because wow. they are critically endangered. Um, but she she does have some specimen, uh, and we told the story in animation to bring it to life. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now here's another fun thing about being a bat that we are. So we're imagining again. Our if is what if, and what we're imagining what the if we imagine if you listener were a bat, and so you have echolocation when you're awake and on the prowl. Uh, but now you've had a hard day of hunting and foraging. And you've come back, and you go to sleep. And as we know, bats sleep upside down. So what in the why do we have any idea why they sleep upside down? It's a weird thing to do. We have a little bit of an idea, and yeah. it's because it's easier for them to take off from an upside down position. They don't, you know, have you know, just starting from the ground. They don't have enough lift um or they don't do like a running start they can just drop from the tree and already get that and take off from there um and also it's uh you know they're trying to occupy a niche that other people don't other species don't have so they can dangle they dangle from the trees and they um they it's really interesting that they are able to do that because if we tried to do that, uh, you know, gymnasts might be better at it than, you know, than other <laughs> folks, but we could in theory dangle. But the minute we fell asleep, we would drop to the ground immediately because yeah. our, our body would relax and boom, there, down we would go. Uh, right. But their feet stay clenched. That's, that's like their, their relaxation mode. And in fact, as they get older, like there's with they when they have arthritis, they clench even more. So it's even harder for them to unclench and then take off. So that's the wow. default. Um, yeah. So we would so for us to sleep upside down, it would take some reworking of our, of our muscles working. Uh, not to mention the fact that all the blood would be draining to our head. Uh, and their bats are much smaller than humans, so they don't have the same volume of blood mass. Rushing to their head when they're upside down, and then um, so they they are able they've adapted uh, to do that. Whereas That's... we would probably die. We like wouldn't die yeah. not too long after we fell asleep yeah. if we were yeah. able to clench. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I just love the idea. I I'm, I don't know that they like when they flock into a tree and hang from the branches. I don't know they're doing it at the same time as having let's say, monkeys on the upper parts of the branches, but it, it would be funny. It's sort of a maximal parking pattern, you know. <laughs> we'll take the bottom We'll take the bottom of the branches, you take the top, you know. Um, so, Gabby, if you, you were a bat and you're hanging upside down, and uh, how, how, how are you feeling when you wake up in the morning? Well, it depends. I'm a bat, so I'm probably not waking up in the morning. I'm probably going to bed in the morning. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> and right. I have that's done right. all of my hunting at night. So yeah. if I'm right. up in the morning, it is because I've spent a little bit too much time outside hunting moths, and I am kind yeah. of exhausted. Mm. Yes, yes. Is that what they hunt? They hunt. What, yeah, what do bats eat? Ah, well, <laughs> there's many different species of bats, so it's a wide range. In some ways, we're very similar because a lot of them love fruit, as do uh, we. And they're amazing uh, pollen, one of the best pollinators out there. 
Uh, but then there's a, a very large number who eat insects. In, in fact, they eat their weight in insects every night. So they're removing all what? these insects from from the you know mosquitoes and lots of disease carrying insects. And then there are the kinds that drink blood. Uh, so so it's quite a range of their dietary preferences. Wow. So we have to eat our own weight <laughs> every night. Um, some so of us, some of us may do that already. I'm just saying. <laughs> so let's hear. So if we're eating quarter pound hamburgers, um, I may weigh almost 200 pounds. So I've got to wow. eat like 750 pounds of hamburgers. <laughs> well, running. 750 hamburgers every night. 750 yeah. hamburgers. That's how McDonald's um, got to billions sold. That's right. That's the only explanation. Like that. Yeah. Um, so I just say I would have to work really hard to eat my weight in food every night. Like I'd be doing nothing else. Yeah. Huh. Well, if we if we decided to eat our weight in insects every day, and mm -hmm. if we number one in decided, insects, yeah. and number two, if we actually could eat that much, yeah. um, there would be plenty to go around because there's 1.4 billion insects for every person on the planet. So we would be fine, and uh, oh, we would right. be removing a lot of uh, disease vectors, as they like to say, uh, out, out of the out of the sky. So, and right, we would actually be doing a service for the planet too, because those proteins are a lot more environmentally friendly, and uh, insects can reproduce so much more quickly. So we, you know, in theory, wouldn't be having anywhere close to the impact. Uh, not to mention all the water that's required for the meats that we're eating now. So that might not be a bad idea. Um, all right. So when, when my friends come over and they catch me midway through my 700 hamburgers, I can say, I'm just saving the planet. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Leave me alone. As long as it's cricket meat hamburgers or something. Oh, it's definitely cricket, cricket meat hamburgers. Cricket protein oh. hamburgers. <laughs> yeah. Only the best. Um, now, how, do, do we know how they eat? How, how do they get the insects? You, you mentioned, do they get the insects out of the sky or do they pick them off the leaves? Um, how, how do they get those? Yeah, I believe it's out of the insect? sky. They're, they, they, wow. And I think Gabby spoke to how how they find the insects, which is pretty incredible. Um, with their so, maneuvering, combination of their maneuvering and echolocation. I mean, amazing. if you've ever if you've ever got a bat stuck in the attic and tried to remove it, I think you can see yeah. what incredible I, all you New York City folks in your attic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am so squeamish. I would sell the house. <laughs> I'm out of here. There's a bat. Bat could have the house. Um, but that's amazing. So as I'm just trying to imagine, as they're flying through the air, are they then like zeroing in? Is this like Darth Vader hunting? You know. Luke Skywalker, they're flying through the air like a dogfight, and then they say, "Oh, I see a a flying uh, insect, and I'm going to start chirping, you know, clicking, so that I can hear that I'm getting closer and closer to my target, and then just eats them right out of the air." Yeah, I believe so. I mean, that's, that's my understanding of it, Gabby. I mean, you described how like precise they are with their uh, zeroing in, how they zero in on the insects, so. So, Gabby, how many insects are you eating, and uh, what what's your preferred diet? Well, it does depend what kind of bat I am, uh, location-wise. Right. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know how many people realize this. I'm sure Emily does, because she's doing all these bat documentaries. Uh, but bats are, the, like, the most diverse, not the most diverse, there's the most number of species of bat. 
versus like any other species of animal on the planet. So bats wow. are the most what? abundant type of, of mammal on the planet. Wow. Um, so there are, you know, a lot of species of insects, but like among like mammals, there's more types of bats on earth than there are like rodents. Uh, so wow. they're a hugely, hugely diverse family of animals. And, you know, geographically, depending on where you are as a bat, depending on your size as a bat, like what specific ecological niche you have adapted to fill, you might be eating slightly different types of bugs. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. And I would just add, this would be easier if it, for us if it was 275 million years ago. You know, if we, if, we, if we existed at the same time as the giant insects when there was more uh, oxygen, yeah. <laughs> when there was more oxygen in the atmosphere and insects could grow to a two and a half foot wingspan, you know, a dragonfly with a two and a half foot wingspan, it would probably be a mm. lot easier for us to eat our weight in insects back then. So, wow. Yeah, if we, right, if we were like, bats back then, uh, yeah. we'd be living the high life. Yeah, well, that's only like six dragonflies then. So that's, yeah. that's a lot easier. Than, yeah. 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 It would be like those scenes, you know, you see scenes of um, um, early man, you know, surrounding a bison or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Learning to hunt together. Um, I am amazed that with all the movies we have, all this movie spectacle we have these days, I don't think I've seen the movie of like, you know, I can imagine bats you know versus dragonflies that'd be quite the peter jackson has got to get on that yeah that's right. that'd be his shtick. yeah i guess he, he does have his king kong movies they have a lot of pre prehistoric fun in them but uh, i don't remember bats taking the stage um now also i just oh, go ahead. one thing about the bats sleeping some of them do hibernate uh so uh -huh. so if that if we could hibernate that would also I, th I mean that would probably benefit us quite a bit especially if we're thinking about long-term space travel and yeah. even uh, treating certain diseases we have. I know a lot of, uh, you know, there's all these urban legends about who has preserved themselves in ice, you know, hoping for yeah. cures. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. 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 So that would be another trait that we could, we could definitely benefit from. I love the idea that maybe bears, bears who hibernate, maybe they are alien space travelers. <laughs> Right, and they just came here, and they were just like, "We're done. We're done. We hibernated our way here. We're just going to hibernate here now. We don't have to go anywhere." Um, all right. So wait. So bears sleep through the winter, as it were, um, mm -hmm. because of food supply issues. Is that right? Um, so why do bats hibernate? What's their? What are they trying to get away from? Just avoiding family members at the holidays, or? <laughs> Uh, exactly. It's just it's a it's a great uh, survival strategy because you reduce your food and water intake and uh, you know reduce your waste, um, cut down on resources. But it is you know here in the U.S. Um, when the bats are hibernating, some of them are getting that white nose bat white nose syndrome. Um, yeah, yeah. So mm. that's you know they wake up with that. So oh wow. So they get it while they're hibernating. I, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Ouch. So do bats hibernate you know, we, or do they also do torpor, which is like short term? Um, torpor. What is torpor? Okay. So I, I can explain. T-O-R-P-O-R. Yeah. They're, they're both, they're kind of similar. So hibernation is sort of that lower body temperature, lower metabolic state for longer periods of time. Torpor can be like a, a, a much shorter, like just a few hours version of that where the metabolic yeah. depression and 
lower body temperature. And you see it in small animals that have like really high metabolism sometimes where like the instant mm -hmm. they need to stop hunting, they just go in a torpor and like sleep. So mm -hmm. it's sort of like kind of food comaing every day. You can almost think of it as like, yeah. a, like an animal. I was going to say, it sounds like Thanksgiving. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, a metabolic strategy to conserve energy because bats flying takes a ton of energy. And yeah. so yeah. bats kind of need to be able to, they, they run hot. They, uh, that engine is, is very, very uh, metabolically demanding. And so the idea, like I was curious whether or not they enter a torpor state like when that'd be a great t-shirt by the way bats we run hot we're just, <laughs> run hot. yeah or torpor oh, was, state would be a good band name torpor state yeah thinking, we yeah. are torpor state yeah my understanding is they do both um because like you said there are so many different species so and while they're hibernating they could they could go into states of torpor uh and mm. lower their lower their bodies uh temperature quite substantially and that's always been the, the the challenge for humans like we just you know we just love that 98.6 degrees unless we yep. have a fever we can we can vary a few degrees here and there but when animals are hibernating they drop their temperature way down and we you know we can do that maybe in extreme medical situations when there's when there's lots of supervision and just for mm. maybe a week or two at max but that's mm. really it uh so that's that's something that we'll have to we'll have to expand on further if we really want to hibernate for eight months and visit other planets. Yeah, yeah, right on. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, now, Emily, you mentioned something that I've I've let go long enough, and that was that as bats now we drink blood. So <laughs> I didn't now I didn't I don't know that I even realized that I know that I've heard that are there na is there a name is there a, like a blood bat or anyway I've heard the name blood and bats around but I knew that that was vampire a part of the bats. Dracula vampire bats. Vamp that's what I'm yeah. thinking of vampire bats so I've heard of that and I've heard of you know of course from the in the movies thing but what you're saying is they really drink blood so whose blood are they drinking uh, they're mostly drinking farm animals blood <laughs> I mean they huh. could they could drink human blood um but they have a much higher tolerance for iron than we do. We we need iron, uh, but if we get too much iron, we can have like iron poisoning, and that can be really bad and kill us. Um, they need a lot of iron for their energy, for flying, and everything. Um, and they also have a way of uh, removing iron from their system that we don't have. Uh, so it's they've they've evolved to be fine with drinking blood. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> really wild. Now, do they drink? So, a vampire drinks blood from a living person or creature. Yeah. Um, do they do that, or is living. it just sort of? Mm -hmm. They do. Wow. Um, so, mean, like mosquitoes or something, but bigger. Oh yes, mosquitoes, but bigger. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Do they have fangs? They have fangs. Yes. Oh, so there's something to this Dracula story. There's a lot more fact in it. There's a lot more science science in this. I didn't know. I didn't think of Dracula as science fiction, but it sounds like it actually is early, early sci-fi in a way. Yeah, I probably. It's just uh, if Dracula had evolved some system for removing excess iron, or if he, <laughs> you know, why does he need more iron being being a vampire than a regular human? That that would be the question. Yeah, he's yeah. very iron deficient. <laughs> yeah. That's why he's so pale. So yeah. pale, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Not to mention all the diseases in blood. 
Uh, so that, oh, wow. you know, like, if you're drinking blood, that it is, it's not just about the iron, but there's so many diseases that you could get from blood and, and make you very ill or, again, oh. die. Like, we keep going back to this death being an option if we try to pursue <laughs> these traits. But, um, yeah. well, if you take the, living systems too far out of homeostasis, death is exactly what happens. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, and it's so interesting because bats are, we all hear that they're reservoir for viruses and that's why they get such a bad rap and everybody's terrified of them. Uh, but they have evolved a way to live with viruses and be more tolerant of them than other species. Uh, so Mm. like that, 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 that could be something that if we were like bats, if we evolved that, that could help us individually as humans. But I don't know what that would do for the, the planet and population control and, um, right, you know, but it would be, because right now diseases kill, uh, you know, what kills more people, diseases or war. So if we didn't have to worry about diseases as much, then would we, you know, what would that mean for civilization? What would that mean for the planet? Yeah. That would be pretty cool. That would I be amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking about throughout history, like how many plagues there have been uh, and what the, what the impacts have been on our civilization. Um, Gabby would be out of a job. <laughs> I would be a little bit. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> but um, uh, go but ahead. I got to say, you know, we people tend to blame the bats for covid right um so does that suggest we need to worry about things like that or is it that the bats are fine and we're just suffering because we're not as good as the bats at handling these things um well we're it's not the bats fault it's we're kind of encroaching on their you know we're encroaching in their their habitats and the wildlife Mm. trade all of these things we're interacting with them more so so then we we come into contact and maybe we can pick up viruses from them that way (laughs) maybe i can go on a little bit of a virus spiel if that helps yes yeah Yeah. so one of the things about zoonosis essentially the transfer of viruses or diseases from one species to another is that there are plenty of diseases out there that for whatever organism that it's evolved to infect are like the common cold plenty of things that you know may be really, really damaging to another species that gets it, but to the origin species, um, that's the the reservoir species is what it's sometimes called, then it's fine. They're perfectly fine handling it. And bats have all these great mechanisms for, you know, they're really good at starting an immune response, but really dampening the inflammation that could cause damage to themselves. But (laughs) since we don't have that, their viruses cause a lot of excess inflammation in us. And that's why some of the bat-derived viruses have affected us so badly because we aren't wired with the same stuff as bats, despite also being mammals. Um, so well, the bats are perfectly fine with them because they've evolved to, to, to deal with these things. Or, or I don't actually know how much of the evolution is, dis- is distinctly for viruses. There's also some thought that some of this in, this inflammation dampening is due to the fact that they fly. It's an adaptation for flight um, huh. because flight might be, you know, causing a lot of inflammation. It's a really metabolically heavy process. It's yeah. think about like the lactic acid in your body after a workout. And now imagine you've been flying <laughs> the entire night. You can kind of imagine yeah. something like that. So sorry, that's my little, my little deviation into viruses. No, that's great. 
No, that's really fascinating. So what is, yeah, so we hear about, and Emily, you were mentioning it, the uh, white, what's it called, white-nosed? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the White-nosed syndrome. Mm-hmm. White-nosed syndrome. And it's, does it kill the bats? Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's been, it's, it's really been an epidemic for bats. Um, hmm. And it's really unfortunate. It's a fungus that came over. Uh, it's not originally from this area, the North America, but it's been slowly making its way across the country. And mm. the bats that can—it's uh, just—it's killing them in, in large numbers, like wiping out entire caves. Uh, so it's—it probably came over on someone's shoe that walked into a wow. bat cave, and it's just highly, highly contagious for bats. Wow. Could have been as small as that. It was just on one person's shoe, and now it's everywhere. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually, so I guess that actually does raise the the question of if we're all bats, are we naked all the time, or because we can't we can't wear shoes because we're hanging by our feet? That's right, right, and we can't have anything on our hands because those are our wings. Right. Can we wear pants? Do bats wear pants? America wants to know. My, <laughs> my understanding is don't bats have kind of like an extra little skin flap by the legs to help them contr- sometimes? With flight? They're yeah. already wearing pants? Is that I, I think they might be wearing MC Hammer skin pants, which is a <laughs> truly terrifying. Oh. Outstanding. I, I gotta, I gotta, maybe I'm sounding like an idiot. I gotta look up pictures of bats because I'm pretty sure this is a thing, but I haven't looked at a bat in yeah. a... But you're just going to get... Images of MC Hammer. That's right. Yeah, right. This is true. If uh, your pants can operate as a sail, I think that's a bonus. The answer is I'm it sure seems like some bats. Some have a little tail. Some bats. That has the little yeah. closed loop. All right. Well, for our if, I think we can run with the idea that all bats wear MC Hammer pants. Uh, yeah, for sure. And they are, they're sort of leather. Leather is, that's the appearance of their skin, at least visually. Is that right, Emily? What is there? Have you touched a bat before? I have not, uh, because I mean, I, I've been around them, I filmed them, uh, yeah. and yeah, it's pretty incredible to film some of the bats in India, because at least where I'm from in New York City, we don't get the, the giant flying foxes that uh, have these like really cute faces, and they're huge, like you can see them in the sky, and like, it's, it's just wow. incredible when you see them all together, and um, I've and where I was in India, in Hyderabad, uh, they sleep in the trees. They don't sleep. These giant fruit flying fox fruit bats, they sleep, sleep in uh, trees. And they are in the center of the city. So they're, they're kind of urban wildlife, living among humans. Um, and it, it was just so incredible to see the trees just literally full, full of these bats that are probably like a foot or two long dangling from the trees waiting for them to wake up so it's like silent except for all the city sounds of of india the beeping of the horns and everything but then slowly starting to hear them uh come to life rustle at the trees rustling and and then start like chattering it sounds like they're fighting with each other and then (laughs) all of a sudden some start to take off and it just becomes almost chaos but it's controlled chaos like because they're echolocating and they know where they're where they're going uh but it looks like they could bump into each other at any moment um and yeah it seems like their wings look almost leathery and and some of them have holes in it so it makes you wonder how they're 
still flying. Um, but then they all kind of take off around the same time. And where I was, there was there was a reservoir nearby. So they would go down, they would take a sip of water, uh, you know, pretty much all almost all in sync, and then fly <laughs> off for the for the evening. Wow. Well, for, and, and they're called flying foxes. Mm-hmm. Those, that, quite... that species was the Indian flying yeah. fox. Mm-hmm. Indian flying fox. And how big are, is their wingspan, do you think? It looked pretty, like, is... pretty large. I would say, if I had to guess, maybe um, a foot and a half or so. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that was a beautiful sight, I got to say. So w- I think we can end by imagining. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm wrong. I just oh, looked it. it up. Five feet. <laughs> Five <laughs> feet. Five feet. Off. I was looking Four. from far away. But yeah, That's no, right. they're pretty. It was a metric. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say for big. audience context, I am five feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, a whole herd of flying Gabbies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're in a room that has a sofa in it, then you can imagine the wingspan of the fly- Indian flying fox is about as wide as your sofa. But <laughs> um, That's really spectacular. So we're flying around. We we finish up. We, we've decided to, you know, we live in... Uh, India and we were flying around and we're listening to the beeping of the horns and the clicking of our echolocation sounds. And uh, we see a uh, filmmaker below us filming. So we do our best to put on a good show for sure. Because, you know, we like nothing better than to be seen. Because as you can see, we've been very successful. We've had movies and books and plays. We All, all form of media have become captivated with us. So that's very good. That's very good. Matt, how do you feel uh, as a bat? I feel more empowered than I did perhaps at the beginning of the discussion. Well, I think that's probably right. I mean, it's cool to be able to fly. Um, yeah. It's nice to finally be able to wear MC Hammer pants again without <laughs> guilt. Uh, and to have an excuse to eat my weight in Cricket Burgers every night. Um, this is yeah. seeming pretty good to me. That's very good. Gabby, how about you? There's something about the immunity to diseases That's kind of tickling my fancy because as the audience may know, I work in a BSL-3, so I have to get decked out in like multiple layers of plastic just to do my job. And And a BSL-3, what does that stand for? Biosafety Level 3 facility. There's four levels and level four is like Ebola, Hendra, Nipah, all of those like really, really bad viruses. And I specifically named at least two that come from bats, Hendra and Nipah. Um... But uh, SARS-2 is, is BSL-3, yellow fever, um, all that fun stuff. And if I <laughs> have a bat's true superpower of uh, being pretty resistant to viruses, maybe, maybe I won't have to uh, get the papper on today. I'll just be able to right. saunter in. Right. Bats would be great virus researchers because they could just fly around and pick them up and then come home and just take a blood sample and off they go, you know. Uh, Emily, how do you feel now as a bat? So if you, you were a bat now and you looked at your one of your films about bats, but, uh, do you think is there anything you would say you would you would want to change in the film now that you are a bat, seeing it from this new perspective? Oh, well, I I would appreciate because in my in my film, the researcher, she's so passionate about bats and she went on this expedition to find this species of bat that was thought to be extinct or was never you know, there's no documentation of it for 20 years, and she wanted to see if it was still around. And she found some old villagers. And um, mm. the moment she realized she thinks she she thought she might have found it was when she took a deep breath 
and she smelled one of her most favorite scents in the world, which was bat guano. Um, so <laughs> I think, <laughs> which for those who don't know, is bat poop. Yeah, I'll just I'll just translate that. Word. Spoken <laughs> like a researcher for the twelve-year-old. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I loved her, love her passion that that's her favorite scent. So I think it's yeah. a bat. I would appreciate that very much, uh, and. And uh, the fact that she was able to record the the audio of this bat and make it let you know audible to humans, I think I would appreciate yeah. that as a bat. Like so, interspecies communication there. Um, so, yeah. And uh, one other one other thing she did was um, this this bat cave, which is not a cave, but it was a crevice, a crack in the ground because and there was granite all around there was an illegal mining mafia there who was trying wow. to mine the, the the granite it was very dangerous because think of like the godfather meets wildlife conservation um so she you know but she had to collect her samples to see if this was the bat um so she collected the bats uh one night when she was there and then she heard footsteps and she saw flashlights coming towards her and running and so she turned off her headlamp and she you know put gently put the the bats in her pant loops and she started running and she escaped the mighty mafia so as a bat i would appreciate you know being handled very gently and put in the pant loops escaping the mighty mafia and then being released once she uh got to safety and took a picture and documented the bats wow that is amazing and are, are your films on youtube as well uh, yes, if you look yeah. up the Batman and the Batwoman of India on YouTube, you'll find it on Scientific American's YouTube page. Right on, right on. Yeah, people should go right. check that cool. out. Well, thank you, Emily. This has been a spectacular journey of transformation and information. Um, and I, I, uh, I love this story of people, people who are out to save uh, nature in any way possible. We got to salute them. So, and uh, so the bats are grateful not only to the Batman and the Batwoman, but you as well for telling their story, and uh, as are we. So thank you, uh, Emily. Um, Matt, would you uh, explain to um, Emily, just, well, actually, hang on, let me uh, check and make sure, you see if you've got anything to plug before, but our, our closing ceremonies are coming up. So for those of you who know what those are, prepare, you know, gather your, gather your appropriate uh, active wear. Um, Emily, is there anything coming up that you would like to let people know about or tell people how they can find out more about you and your films? Uh, I have a new film just out called The Quest to Save Parasites. And it's about oh. it's about wildlife parasites, not human parasites. Nobody wants to save human parasites, but <laughs> wildlife parasites we know very little about. And they're like this huge biomass in the environment. Uh, and they face a double jeopardy because they're vulnerable to climate change and when their species go extinct. And these parasites have been evolving for millions of years with their host. So they can teach us a lot about wildlife and the ecosystem and the, how a balanced ecosystem looks. So you can also check that out on Scientific American's YouTube site. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Matt, is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything coming up? In your uh, let's see here. I'm speaking in Pontiac, Michigan oh. uh, next week. Um, May 10th, if anyone finds themselves out there. Very cool, right. And that's an in-person thing. And what's the, or is there an organization attached to that? Or are you just going to speak in the there park? There is an organization, but I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. 
All right. Um, All right. The pe- the, <laughs> but it, it, it's for the people of Pontiac. So the people it of is Pontiac, for the good Michigan. people of Pontiac, yes. Yeah, that's right. check out Matt Stanley coming to your town. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabby, do you have anything you'd like to plug? No plugs, but I do want to thank everyone who sent in favorite episodes as I was finishing up uh, that application. Uh, fortunately, that is now done. I had oh, a good. panic yeah. on Monday because I thought I'd finished, and then I like clicked one more little drop-down thing on the application, and then 12 more questions <laughs> spawned, and I wanted to oh, explode. <laughs> um, so it was a bit of a scramble at the last minute, uh, which is not uh, how I like to do things. I'm one of those people who likes to s- finish an application and submit it like a week ahead of time so that I, nice. I have time to, I don't know, feel good about it or something. I don't know. Um, but thank good. you guys for, for doing that. It was a big help. Yeah, right on. And uh, anyone still continue to send in your thoughts uh, and uh, episodes you enjoy, absolutely let us know. Um, we had a, a really nice uh, mail this week, which I'll, uh, I'll read out on our next show. I'll have that ready for our mailbag. Um, but uh, you can contact us by just going to our website, whattheif.com. Seems to be the way people love to contact us. Click the contact button and type away, hit send, and we will get that. Um, if you're on Twitter, you can also follow us. Uh, please do. What the If Show. On Twitter, I try to retweet kind of interesting science stories as well as, of course, things about our, our show of the week. That's always fun. Um, and so, uh, Matt, if you would now uh, kind of tell Emily and those who are listening who may be uh, unfamiliar what is about to happen and how can they participate safely. Well, so this is the moment in the show when we are forced to confront the world that we have created. Um, and it, it is uh, usually involves some realm of existential horror. And as we grapple with those consequences, um, we, we react to it by shouting the name of the show in unison very right. slowly. Right. So, so Emily, just in, so you, I don't want to leave Emily behind. So we're going to shout the name of the show. Uh, I think in this circumstance, we wake up hanging upside down, stretching our wings, and we look down and we see that there is a a horde of virologists and space explorers wanting us to come work for them, and of course, pants manufacturers uh, trying to sell us products. Uh, So we find ourselves uh, suddenly shouting, What the It's hammer time. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Emily. Thank Thank you, you, Matt and Gabby. See you all next week.